Try to imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. Total protonic reversal. Protonic reversal. Protonic reversal with your host, Kevin Neutron. Broadcasting from a secret underground lair in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. A gigantic middle finger to everything that is rocking about music, rock and roll, and cover power. The thing is, though, if you don't laugh, you're going to go on a killing spree to shop and nail it. Confidence of a hero or a fool, I wasn't exactly certain which. Could not be more professional. That's like a science thing, right? And we're speaking now to Mr. Steve Albini, and this is a Protonic Reversal special that I'm calling The Culture of Like and Subscribe. So the reason for this special, this call, this conversation, Steve, Mm -hmm. is because I listened to Matt's podcast the end of radio and i thought there was a very fascinating conversation there i somehow found the time to listen to another podcast which is a minor miracle in and of itself but Mm -hmm. i thought it was a really interesting discussion that you guys had about podcasts the monetization of podcasts and just the general entreaties that seem to come front-loaded with the medium uh you know be it the 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 postage.net entreaties (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right stamps.com right right things along those lines yeah uh and, and i thought that was a really interesting conversation that i'm not sure i've heard discussed publicly and certainly not with any degree of alacrity and intelligence so i, I, I wonder mean, if you I, might I give your there, thoughts on that well i think there's there's developing a kind of a schism in the same way that there was between the sort of professional publishing world and the underground publishing world or the fanzine world. Right. Where in the in the professional publishing world, um, the there was a there was an emphasis on turning a profit. So advertising was given the premium in professional publications, print publications. And the editorial content was seen as as literally as just a lure to get people to buy the magazine so that they would be holding it and there would be advertising in their hands. It gets them in the door. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, magazines would take pride in their content, in their editorial decisions and in their content and the quality of their writing and that sort of stuff. And better magazines survived with better writing and better, you know, subject more subject matter more suited to their specific to a discerning audience would make people go, keep going back to the newsstand to buy that magazine yada yada but the the like the long and short of it was they they had to they were required to be profitable um now there were some politically motivated endowed publications like for example you know in the online world now you have things like the federalist which is just a propaganda organ of the right wing which is propped up likely by Saudis and who knows who, what else. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Follow the money and you don't right. quite the story yourself, yeah. Right. Um, uh, and then there are, you know, and then there are some modest equivalent um, equivalents on, on the left. And, like, not, not 
really competitively equivalent, but, uh, you know, some sort of structurally equivalent endowed um, organs on the left. But the, the, the point being that there, the, the model from print journalism was that you had advertising and uh, there was a cover price, which was cover charge, which, uh, you know, the, the price on the cover of the magazine was often reflective of a kind of uh, market selection, like you, a higher-priced magazine was intended to appeal to a more refined audience or a more um, uh, aristocratic audience, whereas cheaper magazines and uh, free magazines were intended to appeal to, uh, like, working class and poor people and, um, you know, less less discerning readers, as it were. Um, so... And now in the sort of podcast and online era, you have, there's developing this weird schism where you've got like the sort of fanzine version of the podcast, which is people who just talk about things that are of interest to them and they post it up and let people listen to it. And then there's this this kind of semi-professional tier where people are sort of aspiring to be professional podcasters. And for those people, the emphasis becomes this, this sort of same capitalist impulse that made like print magazines so frustrating and which makes the web experience so frustrating is that you know they have to find some way to make money off of it and so a significant portion of the program is taken up with these entreaties to like and subscribe and then you know there's all the branded content that's inside a lot of podcasts and and YouTube videos and stuff where you can tell that there's like a, a you know you might be watching a cooking thing, but there's one particular brand of product that is always featured, and the host makes a point of going on uh, on a spiel about the the qualities of this particular potato shredder or whatever. Uh, and those those kinds of intrusions into the exchange, uh, I I find just as disheartening and just as depressing as when you would pick up a magazine and the you know you wouldn't get to the editorial content until you were after the the middle fold there you know? I completely agreed in fact i once likened it to having a conversation with someone and then a third party comes up and uh, does what we colloquially call the nut grab while you're discussing mm-hmm. it yeah or the, you know it's like every conversation you have you're having no matter how uh, how much it means to you no matter how somber, how severe, how earnest is being conducted in the middle of a timeshare seminar, you know? <laughs> right, and here's some words about mattresses. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, well, I'm out, I'm completely out of this moment of this incredibly poignant story or valuable information. Yeah. yeah. So, I, I, I mean, on one hand, I understand these impulses, like, oh, I like doing this podcasting thing. Maybe if I could just do that, it would be awesome. Let me find a way to just do that. But then what what you're really saying is that um, given the two choices of working for a living and doing podcasts on the side or making my podcast this filthy thing covered in capitalism – uh, I choose to make it a filthy thing rather than uh, choosing to work outside my podcast to make it viable for me to conduct my podcast as a, as its own enterprise, as a self-valuable thing, as you know. And um, that's the sort of choice that sort of defines. The, I mean, there's a 
that that choice occurs again and again in life and uh you know i think it's worthwhile to just imagine those things that that make life really valuable and how you would feel if in an, with an, if you were having an intimate moment with your partner for example if you had to interrupt that every now and again so that someone could remind you that you needed breath mints or, or something, you know? <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. Just that that <laughs> completely re- removal from the moment, uh, you know, you know, in a, in a very, like, stunning and, and un-nuanced way uh, kind of motif, repeated motif. I, and I think that also there's a problem with the connection. Oh, lovely. Okay. Hello, electrical. Okay, it's me again. That, sorry, I guess the, no joke, the joke's on me for using a soft phone rather than just using a good old... The The nice thing about um, robust older technologies is that all the problems have already been sorted out. <laughs> right, exactly. They're, they're, nobody's attempting to disrupt anything. They're just, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's tried and true. It, it does the thing it's supposed to do. It, it may not be the, the newest hot thing. It may not, you know be the uh hold on one second there's another phone call coming in <laughs> okay okay i'll let somebody else deal with it so yeah um what we were talking about was this this sort of schism between things that are done for their own value and things that are done as a vehicle for uh advertising or some other kind of um trade and um I think it it relates to um, a kind of perspective that I've had on every part of my life, which is that I I, I don't make deals. I think deals are are revolting. Um, whenever you're bargaining with somebody, whenever you're negotiating with somebody, um, y- y- it makes it makes you feel greedy, and it makes the other guy feel cheap, you know, uh, or the other way around. And, and I and I just don't. I don't see that kind of emotional leverage as being uh, a, a healthy way to conduct any kind of conversation. Um, I don't negotiate. I don't make deals. I don't bargain. I, I think those things are distressing and revolting, and they are a, an outgrowth of capitalism. And it says quite a bit that so much of our world is being projected through that kind of lens. You know, you hear you you often hear about the bargains people make in their relationships. Like, you know, like I, I get to watch my football and she gets to watch her stories. That's a, you know, that's the deal we've struck. You know, or or right, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, I'm I'm allowed chili once a month, but we have to leave the windows open. That's the deal. You know, like all of this sort of horse trading that that people do just on a, on a moment by moment basis, like, like all of it is in a, is, is a way of using the language and the logic of capitalism and markets and deals as a, you know, normalizing that as a, as a way to, to conduct our, our daily lives. And I just won't do it. You know, I refuse to do it. And I think the, the more that I can conduct myself without those structures guiding me, then the more 
seriously I'm taking every interaction. And when someone says something to me, I'm listening to it for its value. I'm listening to it for its meaning rather than listening to it as a coercive effort, you know. And whenever I detect that someone is trying to angle me, when someone is trying to, that someone is trying to manipulate me, um, that tells me something about that person, that he is willing to do that, that that person sees me as a malleable thing to be one, you know, as a, as a transaction to be one. And, uh, I just, uh, you know, I, I, I don't conduct myself that way and I'm suspicious of people who do. And I like to point out the fallacy of it whenever I see it. Well, yeah, it's it's distasteful for, for folks that, (laughs) that, that hold that viewpoint, which I do as well. And, Getting back to the you know the, the original conceit of the, of the question, I have a serious problem with uh, things that I enjoy that that have ads and sponsors embedded in the content, and I realize that's a me problem, and like mm. whatever, I'll skip past it. I'll you know, think about something else, like whatever. <laughs> like I've got ways of dealing with it, but I find it so abhorrent and distracting in the same way that you that you mention it that the idea that it's somehow become a badge of honor especially among podcasts and things right. along those lines to be like oh we got a sponsor for this i'm like okay like well, i don't I, that's supposed to be impressive i don't i don't care well i mean there are there are some organically derived relationships that i understand like certainly, let's say certainly. let's say you're a musician and you have for your whole career used a certain brand of strings on your guitar and they are the thing that has enabled you to do one of the things that's enabled you to do a lot of the things that you've been able to do with your guitar and that string manufacturer finds out about it and says hey we appreciate you using our strings we're going to send you a bunch of free strings yeah great i would be buying them anyway wonderful that's (laughs) exactly that i mean (laughs) that seems like a perfectly normal and reasonable perk of that scenario it doesn't seem as as coercive as the thing that I'm talking about. The thing that I'm talking about is just how every moment of your life, it seems like somebody is trying to, to make a profit, like make a deal, yeah. you know? And there's this, there's this, um, this notion of capitalism as a mutually beneficial arrangement where you have one person has too many of a thing so he agrees to trade them for money, which he can use to buy something that he needs more to someone who needs that thing, right? And there was a really interesting article in Scientific American that did an analysis of the concept of the mutually beneficial trade um, and explained that if the if the prices of the traded goods or services are measured as a as a fraction of the wealth of the person doing the deal, then the wealthier person always comes out better in every one of those transactions, even in a fair market, and even in when the the person who sets the price thinks he's got the advantage. And there was there was a, a long uh, um, series of expl- of examples and mathematical examples, but there's a, a fairly simpler simple. Um, gambling game that illustrates the principle, um, which is that 
if let's say you and I make a wager um, where you post up a hundred dollars and I flip a quarter and if it comes up heads, I pay you 20% of the money that's in front of you. Uh, and if you lose, then you pay me 20% of the money that's in front of you. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Now that sounds like a fair game. Every flip is an even transaction. Like you'll lose 20% of what you have in front of you, or you'll gain 20% of what you have in front of you. Right. Right. But as soon as you lose a flip, your ability to earn back what you have lost diminishes. And if we play that game, which appears fair, I will bust you. Right. Um, and that's the, that's the logic that is extended to all of these transactions. And I just feel like that is hiding in so much of our human interaction now because we've normalized that language. You know, we're striking bargains about everything. We're horse trading about everything. We're making a deal about everything. You know, we're making an arrangement about everything. I'm tra- I'll am i trade you this for that. Like, all of those things have hidden in them this advantage that if one or the other of us has more power, more wealth, more advantage, whether it's social currency or influence over the household or whatever it is, if one of us starts off from a position of advantage, those even swaps will eventually accrue to the favor of the person who has has started out with the advantage. Right, as, as a natural course of uh, course of events and probability. Yeah, and it, it makes sense. That's, it's, 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 how, it's how that system is set up. <laughs> and that's, uh, yeah. that, that's an entirely different and, and far-ranging conversation. I, and I guess what I wanted to focus on too with this is is the and I suppose there is analog with it with uh, you know creative pursuits other than you know podcasting like bands and things along mm-hmm. those lines. Uh, the idea yeah, of a pretty obvious one, yeah. Right, right, right. That's prob- the one that makes the most sense. It's the idea that who are you doing this for and why are you doing it? Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to see. The idea that, again, there, for, for for podcasts, there seems to be this accepted model that, you know, you get your sponsors, you do your ads, you put up your Patreon, and you entreat everyone to like and subscribe, like and subscribe, like and subscribe. And, of course, the reason behind that is because there's certain algorithmic properties within the carrier mechanisms mm-hmm. of how people get podcasts delivered to them that the more, quote-unquote, activity, be it falsely generated or true... The more chances people will randomly stumble upon it, or right. uh, or even be shown it if it's something that is of interest to them, because that's just the way yeah. that that operates. And those and those things are trivially easy to game on a small scale. Right. You know, um, there's a there are scenarios where, like a a, a university, for example, will um, create accounts for all of its students to use when they're working in the university or whatever. But before those accounts are turned over to the students, the first thing that happens is that they all of those different individual accounts are used to put uh, in, interactive social value on everything that the university has. 
they like all the pages. They, you know, the, right. and then the students <laughs> right. are, are okay. Then, now here's your they're leveraged as your, assets to <laughs> to assist exactly. in that other endeavor. Yeah, it has a parallel in music. There was a there's a, a paradigm where in music publishing, where the publishing companies are paid money um, for songs that appear in film and movies on radio. There are payments that are made by venues um, that go to the collecting bodies. The collecting bodies distribute that money to the publishing companies based on a formula, and that formula often devolves, is often as simple as how many titles do you have under your control, publishing company. Right. And then the publishing company produces a list of titles and the more titles on that list, the more songs they control, the more money they get. So publishing companies would, for years, have stables of songwriters who sat in cubicles writing songs and registering them under that publishing company. <laughs> right. Quantity over quality. Sole, yeah. <laughs> exactly. For the sole purpose. No, every once in a while you get a gem out of that yeah, yeah. and somebody, you know, somebody, you know, Kenny Rogers records one of those songs and it becomes a hit and then you make a bajillion but I mean even even the, a blind chicken finds a kernel of corn now and again. Right, but the function of that, the function of this bullpen mentality was literally just to pad that list of controlled compositions. And and that was purely to game this mechanism whereby the publishing companies were paid more if they had more compositions controlled. So the there, there's an equivalent there, which is, you know, if the more subscribers you have, the more likes you have, the more activity is on your thing, then you are favored by algorithmic selection, and then you are promoted to other people, and, and, and therefore you get, you know, more legitimate viewers, more legitimate listeners. Um, and all, all of it, you know, and there are companies who specialize. We, you know, uh, Tim Midget, who has been on your program, um, runs a company that does optimizing of web advertising. Right. That's the that's his day job. Is he optimizes web advertising for people, and what he's doing is he's he's working the tools that are used to find products for people, and he's he's working all of those descriptors and all of those algorithms in a way that makes it more likely that you will find his client's product than their competitors. Right. right? That's you know that is a that's a, a business that you can do now. That is a, a you know a full fledged business is manipulating these mechanisms, and I try very hard for my entire life to be free of manipulation. Like I don't want <laughs> to manipulate yes. other people. I don't want them manipulating me. I want to conduct my life as I see fit, and I want other people to conduct their lives as they see fit. Lifestyle goals, and, I, would, I would agree with that, yeah. <laughs> and now and again, we'll cross paths with each other, and our interactions, I hope, will be genuine and not colored by this, you know, angle shooting that is so ubiquitous. Right, and I think that it's it's something that... And with podcasting especially, it's a young medium. I mean, obviously, the idea is it's, well, it's like a radio broadcast without the radio. You know, that's the ultimate conceit. So there's, right. an, there's an antecedent to it in that there's a, a rich history of radio, uh, you know, the live ad reads, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. the, the sponsorships, uh, things along those lines, to the point that they, they're, they're part of culture and they're looked yeah. at as these 
almost laudable concepts just by nature of, you know, that was the mechanism of delivery for paying for the programming and paying for the broadcasters. And I think because the more popular podcasts that are out there, you know, they, they're, they have staffs. They, in some cases, this is, you know, they're people that, as you mentioned, they are doing this for a living because they have the audience and the desire for what is being produced enough that that is a workable concept. But I've also found people starting new shows that just, that's, that's the only model that they hear. So it's the only model that they know. And they think that they have to go try to get advertisers and they have to go try to get sponsors and things along those lines. And for me, because I think I'm coming out from a similar position you are, I just find that all reprehensible. And I, I said yeah. from the outset, I would never do that. Like, I, and that, and that's a personal choice. I don't expect anyone else to, to follow suit necessarily, but I'm not doing, I'm do, I'm literally made this show because I wanted to have the kind of conversations with people that I was not hearing. It's yeah. for me. And the fact that I mean, other people like it is fantastic. I love that. That's, I mean, that's what advances culture is that somebody does something because he, it's, a, it's, it's a, a voice unheard or an idea unexpressed and like some, that somebody, somebody takes it on, on themselves to do that. And then that is valuable and that's why people engage with it. And because people are engaging with it, other people parasitically, other things parasitically get attached to it to extract value from that relationship that you have with your audience or that a musician has with his audience or whatever. Uh, so, like, yeah. Uh, and like I said, these these uh, decisions come up in a lot of different areas of life. And I, th- I just think it's worthwhile to be aware of the language you're using uh, and when you're talking about anything, when you're trying to, you know, figure out how to get through a, a conflict with somebody, uh, when you are discussing the, all the inferences and all the implications of that conflict, um, you know, and it doesn't really matter what it's about, uh, I try to be circumspect and I try not to use the language of commerce. I try not to use the language of of bargaining because I feel like that less, that cheapens all of the ideas and it makes all of the ideas... It, it changes the conceit. Yeah, coercive, its core yeah. Value. yeah. It's, yeah, and that's... Okay, so on that, you know, there, there's other ways... You know, I, I've adopted the slogan... <laughs> no ads, no sponsors, no kidding. Just because I, I, it's it's almost, well, you know, it's the raccoon like nature I have of just being pugnacious about things that you know ultimately <laughs> probably don't yeah. don't matter to a lot of people. But I'm very ornery sure. about it, nonetheless. I mean, I should point out that there, are, you know, that most people just just accept all of this stuff and it doesn't bother them. Nope, it's most people never hear <laughs> Exactly. Most people never uh, are wired in such a way that it doesn't necessarily bother them and if there sure. is an effect on them it's maybe a subconscious thing, you know, like whatever. Sure. Uh, I, I, agree. Who, I agree. The kind of people who tune into the Super Bowl so they can see the cool commercials. Like that, that, that <laughs> kind of mentality. <laughs> right, exactly. And I, I'm, you know, I'm not being critical of those consumers. I'm not being critical of them as listeners. I'm saying that on a personal level, I find advertising and promotion of all kinds an affront. And w- one of the one of the watersheds in my life was when I got a DVR like 
20 years ago whenever the first DVRs became available. Skip past the ads. And, <laughs> and I could blip past the advertising watching my favorite television programs. I was like, this is the experience I've wanted since I was a child, you know? I didn't want that moment when Lucy and Desi enjoyed a Chesterfield. Like, I didn't want that, you know? Uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't want the, the Flintstones interrupted by commercials for a cereal named after the Flintstones, you know, like, <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, like I've wanted that sort of frictionless thing where I could just interact with the people who were presenting their ideas to me. Like we could have that exchange without it being exploited by anybody else. I've always wanted that. And so getting a DVR allowed me to do that with television. Um, now, granted, I don't watch that much television, but when I do, I, I haven't seen a commercial since, like, 1990, right? Um, and then when ad-blocking software became available for web browsers, that was another really great watershed. Yeah, it makes sites that were, you know, potentially such, such the, the level of engagement required to get to what you wanted would be so frustrating that you just wouldn't wouldn't deal with it. Yeah, and now, for example, if I if I watch a YouTube video on my phone and I have to endure an ad, it seems like an like an insult, you know. <laughs> it's like a personal affront. Yeah. <laughs> How dare you? On my computer, I, I never have to see an, an ad, and it's a joy. It makes it a, makes makes browsing the web a, a pleasure as opposed to a, a, a constant nuisance. There's a there's a uh, new technology. Um, there's a subscription service with a, an interface box um, called Winston, uh, which is a, um, a device that strips out all of the third-party cookies, all of the tracking, mm -hmm. and all of the uh, subcode that goes on internet traffic. It strips it all out uh, on a, on a per-user basis. Um, so you buy this Winston device, and then you subscribe to the Winston protocols, which, where it's constantly being updated and it's constantly learning how better to do this. And um, I, I know, I know of this device being installed, and I've seen how uh, how seem how smooth and how effortless it makes uh, web traffic through it. Um, I haven't bought one for myself, and I haven't bought one for the studio yet. Um, if the studio survives and we open up again, I probably will, just because we do so much uploading and downloading of files now at the studio. Uh, and I probably will buy one for my home, just because uh, my wife operates the charity out of our house, and uh, that you know she's doing a lot. Of, a lot of her time is spent doing web content creation and uploading. Sure. So well, it's, it's can, very clear the government is not going to do a damn thing about it. So you might as well. Oh no no no! <laughs> you might as not. well take care of it yourself. <laughs> I mean, if you, if you think about it, it, the the government is incentivized to allow people to make money off of essentially anything that doesn't cause active societal damage. A, you know, active harm that also creates PR problems. <laughs> yeah. Not not even just active harm, but active harm that uh, you know is is noticeable in a in a larger societal context that reflects poorly upon the government. Uh, yeah. not, but again, parallel conversation. Don't want to get too much more off track. Uh, so, and, and by the way, uh, 
Protonic Reversal brought to you by Winston. So, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, well, no, and, and, and I'm sorry, did you have anything? So, so this, this mechanism, this, uh, this, this, is it a device or a subscription? Like it's, it's a device and a subscription. You okay. buy the Winston device and you put it between your internet, <laughs> your ISP in, uh, inlet and your local server and router. And it, it scrubs everything that comes in and out of all of that tracking metadata and all of the third-party cookies and all that other stuff. Effectively, uh, yeah, t- taking away the ability of others to use that data as a commodity. Yeah, it takes you out of that economy. It means that you don't have to see it from anybody else. You don't. You're not subject to that kind of tracking or spyware from anybody else and you are not participating by providing them with any valuable data sure uh great and it's it's about time uh so so what i want to also broach as well is the and i want to be careful with, with this larger conversation that i don't mean this conversation to be an indictment of those that choose to use you know whether it's the medium of podcasting or whatever to to earn a living i i don't mm-hmm. that that's not, certainly not the intention sure I, I feel that it's a conversation that you don't hear about these mechanisms and the rationale behind them and again i'm going to harken back to it because i've seen it over and over again that there's just a couple accepted models of how to do a podcast and at some point eventually the normal uh, tropes get rolled out, meaning that you know everyone, it, like, <laughs> it's a it's a badge of courage to have the the stamps dot com sponsorship and like you know the referral sure. code and you know it, it's you you get there's a coffee place you know some local coffee place you know pizza place whatever doesn't matter what it is and there's nothing wrong with any of that for for folks if the, if that's how you choose to do it I personally find it very distasteful. What we haven't touched upon is the like what we'll just call the Patreon model, mm. I suppose. Uh, which, yeah. personally, I have a complicated relationship with. I did start a Patreon for this show, but with a specific sure. use case. And the use case is, in the past seven weeks, I believe I produced 90 some odd hours of Protonic Reversal shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's literally just so much that it's difficult to get it out two people so i have used the patreon to basically make a hey if you want the fire hose you know a dollar a month and you will get the fire hose and all that entails and the idea is everything eventually will go to the free feed uh in, in a matter of time and a matter of course you are not getting anything special well you're getting something special but you're not getting anything that you wouldn't get just being an average Joe off the street pushing a button on a thing. Sure. Uh, that said, for me, it works on a couple of levels because, first of all, in a very passive medium where more than anything, it feels like you're throwing things out into a void because you sure. don't have that active engagement. It reminds me that this show is a part of people's routine, a yeah. part of people's lives, and provides some value and content uh, that we've discussed that is additive. Uh, and if nothing else, the people who are subscribing to your 
bullshit are saying, <laughs> I, you know, I'm I'm going to vote with my money and encourage Conan to carry on with his bullshit. You know, I think that, that's that seems like somebody buying a ticket to a gig and it seems perfectly reasonable. And, and, and that's, what, that's, that's a level of intent with it because I have literally been in a situation where I've just gotten very in my head about it, decided, well, you know what, you know, I'm not enjoying doing this right now. No one cares about this, et cetera, et cetera. And without fail, somebody has come up to me at a show or written a nice email mm-hmm. or whatever. That's just like, Hey, I just want to let you know, I, you know, I really enjoy the show and they'll have some very specific comment about it. That reminds me, Oh Yeah. You know, it's a passive medium, idiot. <laughs> uh, and, and so for me, that, that's, that's one level of value for me why I've decided to do it. And the other thing is just when you're doing something ostensibly for free, there's still a work. There's still work that goes into it. Sure. And uh, I mean, the, there's, a, there's a kind of a, an argument for all of these things. Which is that, well, how are you going to pay for it? <laughs> you know, that, exactly. that how are you going to pay for it rears its head in many circumstances. Like, well, this is what I'd like to do. With, this, is, this is the way what I'd like to do. And my ambition is to do this thing. Well, how are you going to pay for that? How are you going to make that pay for itself? Right, exactly. And, and that's, and, that, that's the valuation of our culture. That, that's sure. the first question, right? Right. So... My retort to something like that was, well, how did you pay for having breakfast this morning? How did you pay for getting a good night's sleep? Yeah. How did, you know, how did you pay for walking the dog? What, what you do is you earn enough money to conduct your life, and you incorporate into your life those things that are important to you. And if doing a podcast is important to you, right. and you make space for it in your life, you are already paying for it. You're paying for the, you know... You are doing whatever is necessary to stay alive, and you incorporate as possible those things that matter to you. Absolutely, so, and, and and that's I think that's that's a key that's a key element to the conversation because from my perspective, I would do this no matter what. I would do this if there if there wasn't anyone listening. Probably, exactly. Do you know how many <laughs> do you know how many bad songwriters there are? Do you know how many how many bad amateur poets? Do you know how many how many yeah. terrible chess players there are? Do you know how many, you know? Do you know how many people are very clumsy on ice skates? Right, right, like, exactly. All, people do things that they want to do, and they incorporate those into a life that they are paying for somehow, some way. Whether it's a psychic toll that they're extracting, or manual labor, or <laughs> yeah. you know. You know, sex work or selling stuff out of the basement on Craigslist or whatever it is, they're already paying for it. And I, I, so I have, I have little patience with that as an excuse for doing something that you might otherwise find distasteful. Like, you know, I wouldn't ordinarily want my music to be used in a Crisco commercial, but I have to pay for everything somehow, you know, and right. so, you know, I understand that as a rationale, and I also recognize that, you know, people do all kinds of demeaning things to <laughs> earn a living, you know? Like, yeah, po- podcasting but, is the least of it. <laughs> right out of college, I worked in advertising. I did photograph manipulations of photograph retouching for advertising. The thing that I have hated since I was a child... I was trying to make that right. more effective in coercion. 
that was my day job. I would take a picture of the Marlboro Man, who was dying of AIDS-related cancer at the time, I, and the ad agency was working him like a mule until he died so that they could have a backlog of images, right? So I was taking pictures of this guy in front of a campfire, in front of a horse team, you know, sitting in, you know, sitting on a corral rail, uh, you know, mending a fence, whatever. And he'd have a prop cigarette in his mouth, and I would put the fire on the end of the cigarette. Yeah. So there would never, <clears throat> never be a photo of Daryl the Marlboro Man without a cigarette in his mouth that was attractively lit. Like that was my straight job. That's how I earned a living. That's how I enabled my myself to be in a band and make records and go on tour and do all of the other things that gave my life value is I did this demeaning thing. Right. And this also a quite harmful thing, a thing that I would oppose. Like I did that on a daily basis. Well, and that's, and, yeah. That, and it could, because it, it meant so much to you that you were, you were willing to, to, to make that concession because you had to do something to uh, be able to support the endeavor. Right. So, I'm the last person to cast, to cast aspersion on other people for how they choose to conduct their creative lives. Like, if you choose to use your music for commercial ends, or if you choose to associate yourself with products, or if you choose to, you know, be part of some larger exploitative enterprise, and that's how you make a living, well, that's your putting the fire on the cigarette moment and I and I totally understand that and <laughs> yeah. I'm not and I'm 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 not going to cast I'm not going to fault anybody for making a living. Well, right? it's a privileged argument to in in a lot of cases to be able to uh, tr try to sort people that way because Yeah. You don't necessarily know the environmental aspects or the or the context for any right. of that. Right. I'm just explaining my choices and my perspective. Totally. Yeah. So so okay. So on that, the the choice of, of me putting up a Patreon for this show wasn't because I think oh well I'm just going to do protonic reversal for a living. Although, you know, I was laid off from the day job uh, for for quite some time. I am am back to being gainfully employed again, which is lovely and uh, <laughs> less anxiety inducing. Uh, I have nothing against anyone that can or chooses to make that decision. But another aspect of throwing up the Patreon for, like, here's the fire hose, you know, meaning you get, you know, I think at this point there's like 14 episodes that aren't available to the general public yet that are going to be trickling out, is that there's just the pressure that people are excited for the show or excited for a certain episode. And it used to be, and I know other shows have this as well, people are like, hey, when's the so-and-so episode going to be out? And it's like, well, you know, Jesus, dude, I'm, you know, I'm working a job, I'm... <laughs> I'm doing all this other stuff. Like it'll, it'll be out when it's out, uh, because there isn't a, a support staff doing that. There, there isn't that profit. Mode. So for me, it's something where I hate to say, it, but it's an easy way to kind of shut people up about that kind of thing. To like, just like, hey, if you if you really want it and you want it just in its rawest, most unedited form, dollar a month gets you the fire hose, and that shuts down that conversation, which yeah. I never want to be a jerk about. Because what I'm going to do be mad that somebody wants to hear the show. Of course not. That's a yeah, dick move. Right. Jesus. Uh, but by the same token, there's only so many hours in the day. You know, at one point uh, during this crazy run of shows, I had 
I went to sleep and all my dreams were about editing or producing the podcast. And I woke up and I was like, oh, I got to take a day off. This is ridiculous. <laughs> so tell me what your thoughts are. That's how I choose to use the Patreon. And again, that's it was a hard decision. I literally took years thinking about it. And I decided, okay, I'm going to use it in these ways. And that seems to be working for this show and working for me. Doesn't seem to be that odious. And the fact that it's one more thing in a series of things that are associated with this that just flies out like buckshot shot from a shotgun. Um, what are your thoughts on that patronage model, be it Patreon or whatnot? Well, I mean, obviously it, it suits certain extraordinarily vain people <laughs> who also have... Who who also have an extraordinarily gullible and or sycophantic audience. It it suits those people, you know, the sort of bar hag with a coterie quality. That that, that those people it suits them tremendously well <clears throat> because it literally doesn't matter what content they produce. Their audience is sort of defined by liking whatever they do. There and that's. So that it that's great for them. They are going to be maximally exploiting that audience. Well, um, who who are willingly ex- letting themselves be exploited as a lifestyle choice, too. Exactly. Point it's out. like, yeah. you know, part of their identity is that, you know, uh, I'm a juggalo or I'm whatever, you know, like I, I identify as a thing and whatever happens in that universe I'm buying into, you know. And that that sort of model works for that kind of cultish audience extremely well. It also, I think, is a, a reasonable thing for people whose work is in, incredibly time-intensive but is going to appeal to an extremely niche audience. Right. But that, that niche audience will value that effort and that art quite highly. What I, I think it's a poor model for is this sort of superficial general interest things that people have like a, a, a passing or momentary glancing interest in. For somebody, let's say somebody who's a, an aficionado, of, like a true crime aficionado, mm-hmm. and yeah. there's one particular writer or one particular um, investigator who is at the very peak of that specialty people subscribing to that person are getting a level of expertise uh, that only they would recognize. Because if you just, if I listened to it, it would just sound like any other, you know. You, yeah, you wouldn't necessarily like be able to. Gawking. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, it, it fulfills the criteria of being the thing that I thought it was going to be. I'm like, well, right. no, no, or, it, it's, it's special because of this reason and that. Well, okay, that's, that's you're, you're, you're yeah, a subject like, matter expert on that, and I appreciate that, but I don't need to know any of that to know whether I like exactly. it. Exactly. So, I mean, I, I feel like it works well in certain, for certain classes of people. Um, but uh, I also feel like that it, it, that still boils down to how are you going to make that pay for itself? And I just, you know, if I were going, if, I, if all of the things that I do have built into them some kind of uh, natural... Uh, way to cover their costs. 
like I'm in a band, my band can play shows, and those shows can have a cover charge, and that that pays for me the day-to-day activity of me being in a band. My band can make records. We can then sell those records to whoever wants them, and that pays for the cost of making those records. Right, right. And as a result, it ends up being sustaining. It ends up sustaining himself. Uh, So, uh, like, I I think it will be a while before these natural models develop for newer kinds of content, for newer kinds of expression. Um, But it wouldn't surprise me if eventually these natural models were a lot simpler than having to go to a special website and subscribe to a thing and look through a list and click on things and decide how much value that has to you and commit your credit card and like i it's it just seems quite cumbersome at the moment and i think eventually things will will simplify i i read a, a really interesting comment the other day um Someone said, you know, when someone posts a link to an article on Twitter and it's behind a paywall, I will never get beyond the headline. I'll read the headline and I will right. not, <laughs> I'm not going to go jump through any hoops whatsoever to try to read what's behind that paywall. It's a, it is, whatever interest it is to me is not worth the time and energy that I would expend getting beyond, you know, subscribing, right. turning over all of my personal information you know, tying my credit card to this publication, whatever. But if there was a little button I could click that would charge me 50 cents to read that one article, I would click it every time. Right? Well, well, sure, because that would be an a la carte. Like, I I don't want to support the New York Times because I don't like the New York Times. But if they have an article that's of interest to me, that, you know, by a reporter they like or something, I would like to be able to check that out without, you know, supporting like their entire ridiculous editorial board, which I don't disagree with, I disagree with, and you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But that a la carte option is yeah. not really something that's currently so that's, available for for that style of uh, of. Uh, of so thing. that's the next thing. That's the next thing that needs to happen is that there needs to be a, a way to make these minute payments, uh, and. I mean, and that's true for so much stuff. Like there is, you know, there is art and comedy and stuff that's available that if I have to join a website and become a subscriber and become a member to get the premium, you know, the platinum tier content, it's never going to happen. I'm never <laughs> going to do that. That's, that's not going to be a thing that you're, uh, that you're yearning to do. What what you have done by creating that structure is ensure that people like me will never be a part of your audience. Absolutely, right? no, and I think that's it's important. It's important distinction because I think there's a lot of people like that, of which I generally consider myself to be one as well. But like I said, if there was a button that said, "Click here, and for fifty cents you can see this thing," and it's intriguing enough to me, like if a person has enough of a pedigree that it's worth fifty gambling fifty cents on, then. I would do that essentially every time. Right. So, I mean, I'm certain that the value of those things to the um, to the the parent organizations would vastly outstrip the ten dollars a year or whatever that you could get out of me by subs- as, by as, having a, a digital subscription. Right, by being bought into the overall, for lack of a better term, brand or thing yeah. that, that, that is the, the mothership of it all. Like, I'm going to guess that there are, 
on the order of 50 or 100 Wall Street Journal, New York Times, uh, Washington Post, just talking about major publications. Each of those publications would probably have 50 to 100 articles a year that I would happily throw a dollar at to read because it's something specifically of my interest. Now, and they would get that money on the reg from me and from a million other people like me, but they are never going to get a subscription out. <laughs> it's like never, never going to happen. Zero, exactly. Yeah. Zero pigs, chance. Pigs will zero fly percent. first. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, and on that, and harkening back to the medium in question that we're, that we're speaking on, uh, you know, there, there have been episodes that I've done that have a larger, broader reach maybe than things than I normally normally do and that bring in new listeners and that brings in new listeners that find that other episodes of the show are also of interest to them and they you know subscribe to it and 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 become fans of the show uh and in some cases they're just there to hear the one thing that they were there to hear and and that's okay that's fine uh the thing that uh, like okay good good example is like the jerry casali episode i had jerry casali and devo on which as a lifelong you know devo super fan was (laughs) <laughs> if this was a career, that would be a career achievement. Uh, yeah, I had I had the pleasure of talking to Jerry for a couple of hours uh, for a, a, a program on another program on another channel, uh, and it, it you know it was the same thing. Like I you know if I could have told fifteen year old me that I was going to get a chance to talk to, <laughs> yeah, right. to Jerry from Devo. <laughs> I would have been patiently waited through the ensuing 30 years without much of a problem. Right, right. It'd be like, oh, well, there's something. 35 years, sorry. Yeah, you, tr- you try, to try to describe that, and they're like, wait, what? Really? <laughs> You're kidding me. Yeah. Uh, so for me, that was, and that was something that was absolutely of interest to the regular listeners as well. But it also brought in new people that listened just to that episode. And some of them were like, oh, wow, you know, I'm a big... I'm a big Jesus Lizard fan. You have had Dwayne Dennison on. Great. I'll listen to that. Oh, wow. You know, I really into this one. That, And then by nature of subscribing to the show, they had other episodes come into their feed. There were artists that they did not know uh, because I, I try to balance it out with this show with the known and the unknown, like people that you should know, people that you, you, know, you do know. And that's important to me as a delivery system for what I am interested in. Uh, but by the same token, it's all free. <laughs> you know, it doesn't cost anything. I'm not putting up a ten dollar paywall to like to get at everything for yearly subscription. Uh, the the only the only thing is that if you want to get it sooner, like if you're like I have to listen to this right now, I'm like great, that will cost you a dollar. And I think if that was applied to, I, I mean, I guess we can't call it print media anymore, but if that was applied to journalism mm-hmm. uh, and things along those lines. I think we would have two things. I think we would get less into this idea of, of chosen news sources, uh, mm-hmm. chosen trusted news sources, and I think we would have a more sustainable model because it's going to go that way one way or the other uh, mm-hmm. going forward. And again, that's a larger conversation. There's a lot of ideas throwing out there. But I think you're, I think you're onto something that the model of I'm going to sign up for this subscription service to consume one thing doesn't seem especially intelligent to me. Yeah. I guess it's just, it's, it's I guess that's my statement. <laughs> Here's a blatantly it, obvious I mean, thing. Newsflash. 
Yeah, I mean the 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 thing is that these people are people are constantly saying, "Oh, journalism needs to be supported. We need to support these publications." And I would happily support those publications if they if there was a mechanism where I could do it when I felt like reading, as opposed to in the background all the time. It just seems too much like a scam. Then, like you know, you're there's this recurring account for Hulu Plus Prime on your on your credit card. <laughs> and when was the fa- last fucking time I looked at anything on Hulu? I you know that that's the sort of thing that I I, I want to avoid in my life. Uh, I'm. It just seems so so trivially easy to me to if you to create an an app that collects all of these news sources and pays them for the content based on people reading it. Like if you see something yeah. you want to read, you click the button and read it, and it charges you fifty cents or twenty five cents or a dollar or whatever. Well, and I, I mean, I might spend you know fifteen or twenty dollars a day on journalism then whereas i know for a fact that i have not spent 15 or 20 dollars on journalism in the last year otherwise <laughs> well of course yeah which is also more that more that you've spent on journalism than some local papers have for their entire budget i might add yeah uh but yeah no and i think that 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 format applies itself to most creative works like you know uh, like a i don't even know if you can call it television anymore when it's just you know streaming uh, movies and and shows that are on various things, but you know that model. Uh, I, I could see that working if the podcasting medium moved more towards a paywall sort of format. Uh, you know, I think there's there 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 is some rationale behind it, but then of course that's where <laughs> the SEO style and culture of like and subscribe comes back into the picture, bringing us all back around to. The, the original uh, s- subject, which is to say, whether it be through grassroots action and fandom or artificial activities, the idea that in some cases, because of algorithms, people just aren't even going to know about a, a, a thing that they would potentially like very much if people don't actively engage with it and champion it. And then by that same token... Uh, people monetizing that as a, a new revenue stream for or, or new employment opportunity to prop up things that maybe don't have that grassroots support. And that's a lot to digest there. Uh, but yeah. I guess coming back to coming back around all of it, I personally find the like and subscribe culture abhorrent, mm. but it's also necessary. I understand the necessity of it by nature of the fact that, again, back to this show. It's a niche show on a niche medium. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I appreciate your, your, I appreciate and I think I agree with your perspective. The language that you used was the necessity of it, which I, I think is overstating the value that's that a good point like and, that, and that was that they was a mistaken are, language for sure so that, yeah, that's a very good point they're tools and i understand why people use them uh, you know the, their practices and i understand why people use them i think it's overstating it to say that they are necessary because there is a great deal of 
content and material out there that is done purely uh, at, at the behest of someone <laughs> doing it. Exactly. It's purely because somebody wants to do it. And I find a lot of that stuff just as engaging and just as enriching as, you know, something that's been sponsored and promoted. There's nothing quite like a maniac talking about the thing that drives him crazy. There's nothing quite like an obsessive freak going on about the things that they obsess over. Yeah. You know, so that I will always find riveting. I will always find... Like, I, I saw this lecture the other day. Um, it was the, the Royal Institution does as an online presence where they, they put videos of lectures from their archives. These are lectures that were given to students or public lectures. And they put them online to, just for people to see what kind of nutcases make lectures at the Royal Institution. Right, right. And there was a guy going on about cuneiform writing, the development of cuneiform writing. And you could tell that this was this dude's complete kink. <laughs> yeah, like, it's like, this dude is hyped on cuneiform. <laughs> like, he has thought about essentially nothing else. Right. For the last maybe 40 years, he's had nothing on his mind but the development of cuneiform writing. Yeah. And it was incredibly engrossing hearing him go on in minute detail about which hand the stylus was held in and where the clay tablets were dug up from and, you know, and what the different character sets were used for, whether they were ideograms or pictograms or whether they became phonetic representations. Like, it was just, you know, the whole thing you could tell was giving him the biggest fucking hard-on to have an audience full of people listening to him talk about cuneiform writing, right? I will never not watch something like that. When I stumble across something like that, it just... (laughs) You know, it's like butter. It's like hot buttered bread. You know, I just love it. I I, I once spent an evening learning what I presume is quite a deal, quite a lot of the the vast totality of knowledge about falconry for the exact same reason. <laughs> yeah, I can totally imagine like going down a falconry like black hole. I can totally imagine that. So yeah, and and harkening back to the earlier part of, of what you said uh, it was a mistake in my language because I think the entire the entire conceit of this is that I feel that the the propping up and uh, astroturfing I guess would be the correct term uh, for something like a podcast is not a necessity any more than the the going this revenue centric model of you know you get your ads you get your sponsors etc cetera, etc cetera, should be seen as the only template and it was brought up to me, certainly as a surprise, that the fact that I don't do any of that crap is something that some folks, you know, found interesting or worth yeah. discussing. And to me, and, it's and it's water. I don't even think about it. I'm like, well, what the sure. fuck would like, I do I've that? Had similar, <laughs> I've had similar conversations with people about, like, in my business practices, I don't use contracts and I don't take royalties from the people who I work for as a recording engineer. Some people see that as remarkable and unusual, and they want to know it, and it's intriguing to them. To me, it just seems like normal ethical behavior, and I, and it doesn't seem special. And if you look at it in the abstract, if you look at it removed from the standards 
and the practice of standards and practices of the rest of the the record business if you just look at it from a on a human level like why should i get paid in perpetuity <laughs> for having done a job that took me less than two weeks like yeah. why should i be being paid for that for the rest of my life that's that seems insane right and and furthermore why should i be diminishing the income of an artist whose music people are buying specifically because it's theirs why should that payment to me come out of their share and not out of the general manufacturing cost of of the record for example like that's the sort of thing like it if you remove yourself from the, the standards of your particular game and look at it from first principles, like what's happening here and why is it happening, then it becomes a lot easier to make these ethical decisions because you're not colored by this, the, the presumption that this abhorrent behavior is normalized. Right. And that's why I, I think it's important to examine your language and examine your practices and be ready to interrogate yourself about why you've chosen to do something a certain way. Like, any kid can take her phone and make a video of herself explaining a, a topic of her choice, post it up on YouTube, and she's just had a podcast. You know? <laughs> right, exactly. with, with, uh, with the exact same ability to reach an audience that uh, somebody, you know, in the NPR studios with a production team exactly. of five. Yeah. And and if that thing generates interest, then she'll she has a, a worldwide audience at her fingertips at no cost, no cost, no no barrier to entry, no cost to herself. So the idea that these things need to be paid for isn't is an extension. <laughs> of right. It's it's the, a self overvaluation of uh, <laughs> exactly of what it's you're an producing. Extension of this, arrogant. This, the sort of vanity of uh, I, I I want this to be my profession. I want to do nothing but this. You know, okay. You know, you're allowed to do that. You you you're what you're not entitled to is the rest of us giving a shit about it. <laughs> you know. Well, well, exactly, and and nobody nobody's entitled to any of that. And, and on that specific example, there's there's a show uh, I I. I uh, <sighs> I can't remember the name of it, but it's it's something. I think it, it might be called Little Punk People, mm. and it's just this adorable young man, you know, with 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 glasses, uh, you know, probably about like ten years old or something, and he's interviewing bands, and it's it's wonderful because first of all, he seems to have a genuine interest in it, mm. uh, and then also just the novelty value of the fact that it's a kid, it's a kid doing this thing, uh, but from the perspective of what is being produced like the analytical part of my brain never turns off there's a few times i'm like oh wow that's a really interesting question and waiting to get yeah. like like and i was like and i was like am i being jealous of a 10 year old kid right now <laughs> <laughs> uh but you know that said like it's it's uh i guess it, i guess it, what, it, what it boils down to and, and i gotta wrap this up is if you look at it like you're making a product versus if you look at it as being part of an ecosystem, I think it's a vastly different mindset. And as surprising sure. exactly nobody, I certainly look at it like the latter uh, with this show and find most of the stuff that I have that finds value uh, tends to trend that way also. Uh, but the idea that I want to put forward here 
that I think we've adequately explored is that it's not like there's one way to do things. And it's not like these things should be seen as the template or the path uh, without any kind of critical thinking involved. And it just occurs to me that if that conversation exists somewhere, and I'm sure it probably does, uh, I certainly haven't heard it. So I I appreciate you sitting down and, and talking to me about it because I think it's worth exploring. And I think it's it's valid, albeit meta. <laughs> and I apologize for using the word meta there. Sorry, not a problem. <laughs> uh, Steve, thanks so much, man. This is this is uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, and I really, really appreciate you giving your thoughts on all this and being part of an excellent conversation. Well, thanks for having me. It's very sweet of me. <laughs> all right, brother. All right, bye. There he goes, Mr. Steve Albini. This has been a special Protonic Reversal special. The Cult of Like and Subscribe. The Cult of Like and Subscribe. Thanks now? for listening. RadioNeutron.com for the archives. Out on Route 128, dark and lonely. No ads, no sponsors, no kidding. to my top 10. I'd like to thank our sponsor. But we haven't got a sponsor. Not if you were the last man on earth. She was prepared to prove it. This one goes out to a special girl. There is no special girl! It's the... It's the end of radio! The last announcer plays the last record! The last what? Leaves the transmitter! Circles the globe in search of a listener. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now?
it really broadcasting if there's no one there to receive? It's the end of radio. As we come to the close of our broadcast day. Emergency!